what I want people to, to gain most from seeing my page and just seeing everything that I do is not to be exactly like me. You don't have to be a triathlete. You don't have to be a knitter. You don't have to do handstands. It's, it's not all those things. It's, it's that you can do the things you love. You can prioritize the things you love and they don't necessarily have to perfectly match up. If other people tell you like, you know, you can't do that. You do this thing or how, how could you fit that in? I just think a lot of people think that they can't fit in the things they love. And I'm just trying to show people that it's possible. It's possible to live a life that's full, a life that's meaningful for you. And yeah, and then just to keep trying new things. My guest today is Ali Noel, and welcome to Techua with Benjamin Morse. Welcome back to Techbot with Benjamin Morse. I, of course, am Benjamin Morse, and I am your host. For those of you who are joining for the first time, Inkwa Dahan Metzahum, which is Tigrinya for welcome, and for the rest of you, welcome back. You know what? I love to travel, and I've learned many things by getting out of my comfort zone and exploring the world around me. I also love what travel does to us. It opens up our minds to difference. It empowers us to see the world through another person's experience, while also pushing us to understand the complexities behind our own identities and how they are perceived and manifest across different settings. I'm here to listen and learn from others' experiences, and I don't seek to convince, but simply to understand where I strongly believe that wisdom thrives in nuance. In today's conversation, it is all about nuance and shared wisdom. Super excited to introduce you all to Ali Noel. Ali is an incredible person with an impressive story. She is a talented yoga teacher and practitioner, an Ironman athlete, a former D1 water polo athlete at the University of Michigan. Uh, she's got a huge following on Instagram because of all of these endeavors, and she's a good friend of mine uh, from our collective time serving in the Peace Corps in Ethiopia. This one is chock full of insight, and for those of you that are looking to dig a little bit deeper here in early 2021, maybe sign up for that virtual 5K you've been reading about or that Ironman triathlon that you've been dreaming about. Uh, whatever your aspirations, Ali's story is sure to inspire you not only to consider those dreams, but also to put a plan into action. I really enjoyed learning from Ali, and I'm certain that you will too. So without further ado, let's get into this one. All right. Inkwan Dahan Metzahum. Welcome, Ali. <laughs> hey, Ben. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to, to jump in and have a conversation. I've been wanting to ask you so many questions for quite some time about all the really amazing things that you've been up to of late. And uh, I'm, I'm just super excited to, to chat with you tonight. Oh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, you know, we we met uh, back in 2011 in uh, Ethiopia, of all places. And, 
you know, we've got a lot of other kind of threads that bring us together. Uh, I'm sitting here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where you spent uh, a fair amount of time uh, as, a, as a student here. And, uh, you know, also we've got a lot of overlapping uh, interests and uh, I think shared experiences through the world of uh, endurance athletics uh, and kind of our, our aspiration for, you know, becoming better athletes and, and sports. So I'm you know, just super excited to kind of chat through some of those pieces with you. Definitely. I am too. And, you know, also like <laughs> you have 30,000 followers on Instagram, <laughs> which is, which is amazing, which is really fantastic. And, uh, it's, it's been really cool to see kind of your incredible journey, uh, and kind of how you've been able to bring yoga as a practitioner, teacher, philosopher, artist, you know, so many different layers and how you've been able to kind of create in that space and share it out with the world. So I definitely want to get into that a little bit later on as well. (laughs) For sure. It's been quite the journey. Cool. And, you know, so for this, this particular conversation as well, I, I want to start by thinking through uh, this notion of, of travel and how travel really builds empathy. It, it provides a bridge for folks to really learn and experience other cultures and, uh, you know, learn from and build relationships with people from, you know, all over the world, uh, whether it be across, across the world, 8,000 miles away, or whether it be, you know, the next town over that you've, you've never experienced. And, I think that uh, in order to kind of start threading that needle and, and going through that journey for you, I'd love to, uh, you know, dive into a little bit of your origins and uh, kind of see see how you got to where you are now. So uh, if you can help me, you know, put this together for our <laughs> listeners, um, you know, where where does your journey begin in that regard? Oh boy, uh, I guess we can start where I was born just because it does bring it back to Michigan. Uh, so I was born in Michigan and uh, I moved to North Carolina, which is funny now that I'm back here with my husband, <laughs> but I lived in North Carolina for about five years and then lived in Illinois, just outside of Chicago for another three. So that puts me in about elementary school at that point. And then four years in Connecticut, all through those wonderful middle school years. <laughs> and and then uh, we moved to California for my high school years, eighth grade through high school. And, and then it was off to Michigan for undergrad, go blue. <laughs> Definitely go blue. Yes. <laughs> uh, so why did you move around so much growing up? That's a great question. A lot of people immediately assume I, my, my family or my parents are, you know, military related in some way to that. Uh, but actually, my mom's a professor. So uh, my parents met uh, in college and they actually met at the University of Michigan and uh, yeah, got married and had me. And then uh, my mom and dad just both working their way up through their careers. Uh, we ended up moving mainly for my mom so that she could you know, do the usual, like go get your PhD and then go do the postdoc work and then get your first oh, university sure. position and then your second university position. So right. just working uh, her way up. 
Yeah. So it was an academic journey, uh, yes. kind of letting, kind of following <laughs> your mom through the the various. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe that journey. It's uh, you know I've I've got uh, I work in in higher ed as well, and I've I you know I've got a lot of friends and, and colleagues that are uh, on various pieces of of that path. So uh, it's it's always quite uh, astounding to hear everyone's journey through that. But uh, it sounds like your mom and and that particular journey really afforded you a lot of opportunities to experience new places growing up. Definitely. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm so fortunate actually to experience not even just within the same state, but really across the country from east to west, um, north to south. And, and then that also puts family and friends all over the country too. You know, every single person you cross paths with and then family that you have across the country. So I was very lucky very early on to take many road trips and be able to visit family in different places. And then every single move, you have to start over, make new friends, learn how to, you know, kind of be brave and walk into a new school and put yourself out there every single time. So. Sure. Can you, why don't you tell me about that? I mean, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more, you know, I, obviously you were at, at varying ages throughout this, this journey. And, you know, I don't know at what age you kind of uh, had that realization that this was uh, a really positive opportunity that you were mm-hmm. able to, you know, learn about different places and be exposed to kind of new, new ways of life, so to speak. Uh, that sounds like a, a bit of a mature thought. I, I can't <laughs> imagine that uh, you always had that uh, insight into those travels. <laughs> I definitely didn't. Uh, that's a great question. So when we moved from Illinois to Connecticut, the photos we have of me are very grumpy. I'm frowning in the photos. We're in our new house in Connecticut, and I am so mad to have moved. And I have, I'm have i wearing, I think, like five best friend necklaces. Remember when those were trendy? Like girls had like one half of the heart or the puzzle piece or something. I was going to ask if it was the heart split. That's good. And so I'm wearing all of those. I'm so upset, right? So that was the move from uh, kind of like the beginning of middle school into a totally different middle school into Connecticut. So, uh, and well, I guess, let's see, fifth grade. Yeah. So we moved after, uh, fifth grade. Wait, what am I talking about? Let's see here. (laughs) Now I got to think about the years, uh, first through third grade. So yeah, yeah, I moved after third grade. So then I started fourth grade in Connecticut and that was a hard time, third grade to fourth grade. And then when I left Connecticut, totally different story. I was so excited to move to California. I was gonna learn how to surf and make all new friends. And I knew my braces were coming off and I could not wait to be like, peace out middle school, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) So California was a totally different move. I was so super excited for that first day of school and made friends very quickly. I was very fortunate uh, in that regard. Quickly, quickly. Did you learn uh, how to surf? I did learn how to surf. Yes, I went to a couple different surf camps that were offered, and because uh, we moved in the summer, so immediately my parents signed my brother and I up for some camps, and I learned how to surf. I'm not. There's no way I'm taking on waves in Hawaii or anything like that, but you know, the, <laughs> the simple, fun waves. I can. I can stand up. <laughs> sure. 
Yeah, you know, as as you talk about your your friendship necklaces and, and all of that, you definitely brought uh, rushing back a lot of like awkward memories <laughs> of being an elementary student and going into middle school and just trying to figure out kind of who you were and uh, where you fit in in this this crazy world. I wonder, you know, knowing knowing what I know about you and and really reflecting on my own personal experiences with the role that uh, sports, in particular soccer, played for me and and going through those those stages uh you know when did you get involved in in sports whether it be uh, swimming or, or something else i started swimming in connecticut and i think if i had more of my swim friends in school with me it would have been i probably would have liked my middle school years a lot more but a lot of my swimmer friends were at different schools because it was a club team so when I moved to California, it was kind of the same situation. A lot of my swimmer friends were, you know, schools all over uh, Santa Monica, L.A., that whole area. So uh, I just kind of got used to that at that point, that I had my school friends and then I had my swimmer friends. They were just different groups of friends. And uh, definitely, I mean, I tried to dabble in soccer. I, I admire you for that because I was terrible at soccer. I used to tell people that I wasn't meant for land sports, only water sports. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was really bad at soccer. So thankfully, when I finally asked my mom one day if I could just do swimming, I think she was also a little bit relieved that she didn't have to drive me to two different sports anymore. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's really funny. I I definitely am a, a land athlete, uh, pretty exclusively. Uh, I I enjoy you know I, as I got as I've I've grown up and I've, I've been able to you know learn how to surf in in Australia, for example. Or you know I lived on a beach in Costa Rica for a while. It was kind of uh, it was weird if you didn't learn how to surf. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I probably made it to about the the third grade level of of surfing. So uh, you know I I made my way up to where I could. Could, you know, make make my way back to shore with very tiny waves, which was all I really needed. Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I could definitely you know relate to the multi sport experience and having to to choose what is the the kind of the best fit for you and where are you the happiest. And uh, so exactly. you know, thinking about what the the next steps for were for you here, um, you know, you went you went to high school in Santa Monica as as you mentioned. What what sports did you play there? Well, uh, I was fortunate to go to a high school that had the sport of water polo, uh, which I knew nothing about before California. And I, yeah, I remember going to the first practice, which was in the summertime, because they, that's how they, you know, started getting the incoming freshmen. So I went to the first practice and I swam, we were given a 200 yard warm up, which was, is pretty short for a swimmer. That's, that's a pretty quick warm up. And I finished and I remember these seniors looking at me and saying, they just straight up called me freshman. They said, freshman, you're not done yet. Keep swimming. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm done. 200 yards, eight laps. Uh-huh. And they were just like, no. But I think it was kind of rare where I went welcome to high school. Welcome to Santa Monica. Yeah. Welcome to, welcome to the team. <laughs> I know, right? I think it was kind of rare that they had uh, swimmers join the team. I don't know if they just had other athletes because a lot of the swimmers then just went for swim team only. So it kind of blows my mind a little bit that, <laughs> that swimmers are like a kind of unusual suspect when it comes to water polo. Like I can't, yeah, that does I not mean, compute. It could have been my school too. Like it was still a growing team or whatnot. I mean, the team had been around for a few years, like at least like four years or so, but I think it was still kind of a growing 
idea that swimmers joined the water polo team, which, yeah, is very odd. (laughs) So for those of us that are land athletes, um, (laughs) tell me a little bit more about water polo as a sport. Like how many, how many people are on a team? How many people are in the pool? Yeah. Uh, I assume you can't touch the bottom the whole time. Like how deep is the water? (laughs) Yeah. These are all great questions. Um, so it's actually really similar to basketball. That's usually how I start uh, explaining water polo to people. So each player in the water, and there's six, uh, technically six field players, and then one goalie, you have a goalkeeper. There's six who play offense and defense. So you're swimming up and down the pool, and you're correct that most standard pools do not, uh, they're, they're completely deep, so you wouldn't be able to touch the bottom. But of course, there's some pools, some high schools that would only have like, you've seen those pools that are like the shallow to deep version. (laughs) So I'm I'm familiar with the shallow area. (laughs) Yeah. So those are kind of funny games when you have to pretend you're not touching the bottom. And, uh, those are always kind of funny, but yes, typically a standard water polo game would be, uh, six on six. And then each team has a goalie. So seven on seven. And then, uh, you can't touch the bottom. Yes. You're treading water the whole time. You're leaping with, you know, just using the strength of your legs, the strength of your arms to swim with the ball, to pass to your teammates and also to shoot. That's, that's incredible. I mean, that sounds like an an endurance, uh, sport to me. I I think that I, I didn't make that connection. I think previously, uh, that, that it really takes that, that ability to endure, Mm -hmm. uh, I think to be a successful water polo player. Is that, do you think that aligns? Oh, for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah, interesting. Cool. So you so you played played some water polo uh, at, at, in Santa Monica. Um, you know, you had actually mentioned to me before uh, that, that you had some challenges on that team. You want to <laughs> unpack that for me a little sure. bit? Sure. Well, I loved being on the swim team, too. So the water polo team was considered the winter sport. Like, we started it pretty much when everything in the fall was wrapping up. So it was the season kind of started November through, like, January, February. And... Um, And then the swim season was after that. So the swim season was kind of the the February into the end of the school year. So you could do both. And we were encouraged to be on the swim team as well. And I just really liked the swim team more. So even freshman year, I loved swimming more. And then I went into sophomore year and I'd made the varsity water polo team, probably because I was a former swimmer, but I wasn't very aggressive because I had been swimming since I was, you know, 10 or 11. And that's you know non-contact yeah not a context (laughs) exactly so I'm so I wasn't very aggressive and my coach would always you know have me kind of do drills where I was more on people and okay we'll turn her this way and you can use your arms and her hips are down take advantage of that because when your hips are down water pole you can take advantage of trying to you know swim around someone it's always about keeping your hips up so people can't use your body and I would rather just swim around someone because I had the speed rather than try to use their body or even touch them and, uh, yeah, so my sophomore year, I was, I, I didn't really have a good time and varsity was really hard and I got zero playing time basically. I mean, I, I exaggerate. I had more playing time than that, but you know, it just felt like I wasn't really having fun like I did freshman year. And so going into my junior year, I was, I was pretty like disinterested. I didn't think I was really going to play anymore. And it's funny because I don't even know if my old coach will listen to this, but he'd probably be shocked to hear that. Like, what? I didn't know you thought that, but (laughs) I ended up sticking it out. And then of course, that's what's so funny is I ended up going to uh, the Michigan water polo camp that was offered at the time. I think it's still offered in the summers. 
and and then I ended up playing at Michigan. <laughs> so that that was your that was your pathway to uh, becoming a, a Wolverine. Was yes. you went to you went to a camp and you I presume that you you know you performed really well there and then you became a, a D one water polo player. Yeah, I mean I always wanted to go. It's funny my parents raised me you know to be obsessed with Michigan because that's where they had gone to and then living. I hear that's a thing. It is I, a thing. I hear that that is a thing. <laughs> and living in California, there are plenty of other great. Uh, schools. And so when it came time to pick a college, I think they sort of, I don't think they actually regretted it, but part of them were thinking, oh, wait, why did we push so hard for Michigan when there's all these other options now? Uh, That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you know, from <laughs> from what I know about the, the school, um, having done my, my graduate degrees there, uh, it's a very unique place. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's, I, I think about Colorado State University and uh, I grew up in Fort Collins with, with that university in my backyard. And like as a community, obviously we have a very strong affinity for for CSU and mm-hmm. you know go Rams all the way. Mm-hmm. You know it, it's it's definitely in the lifeblood of the city as as most college college towns have. But you know coming to U of M and coming to Ann Arbor, like we're on a whole different level here. Uh, I remember the first time that I set foot in the big house, hundred ten thousand people uh ironically was actually for a manchester united soccer game which uh, makes oh, me I smile a little bit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know it's 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 just a different world here and um i can't imagine what it was like to to play for for u of m as a d1 athlete can you tell me a little bit about what that experience entailed? yeah i mean it was incredible and my teammates were absolutely amazing it was really just awe-inspiring to be around all of these athletes who were top of their game, top talent, you know, really amazing. Uh, The funny thing is, is I didn't really know what it meant to be recruited or uh, kind of contacted and all of that. I assumed that I was recruited. I thought, oh, the coach has called me twice. He really wants me to go here. And so I really thought I was like priority and then I got to Michigan and I went to a barbecue and that the team was having to greet, you know, meet everyone. And I learned very quickly that I was what's called walk on status, <laughs> that all of these other girls had, uh, you know, several of them had full ride or they had, uh, they were, they'd been members of water polo club teams since they were five. And that was something I didn't even know existed. I just assumed either you swam and then, and you never played water polo or you learned how to play water polo in high school. That's all I knew. <laughs> wow. That's, that's amazing. I think that that's a testament to a, how, how talented you were to be able to walk onto a, a school like university of Michigan. And, um, I think that's also a very kind of a humble awakening right there mm-hmm. in the beginning. I think that's a, a pretty incredible experience to walk into something like that. Um, so, I mean, I'm not familiar with, you know, what the, the, the club, uh, experience looks like for that particular sport, but I, I've actually, you know, I've, I've definitely heard about similar sports, whether it be in, you know, track and field or whether it be in, in swimming is again, something you're familiar with. Uh, but all of these different pieces of the puzzle that really, you know, by the time you're 12 or 13 years old, you're pretty squarely on that path mm-hmm, right? Definitely. versus someone that is uh, yeah. maybe discovers the sport of water polo in high school, for example, <laughs> <laughs> maybe doesn't doesn't see that opportunity. But that's that's really fantastic. You're able to see that through. Right. I feel really fortunate. I mean, would I've loved to be on a club water polo team when I was younger. Yeah. But then you could also experience burnout. So you never know. Sure. <laughs> 
thinking of kind of your your path so you're at you're at u of m you're playing water polo um you know this is where uh i think you know from from conversations that we've had before you know you started to think about um you know things beyond sport and different opportunities and uh, i know that you had traveled a little bit uh in in that Mm -hmm. timeline as well um, do you want to talk about, you know, maybe your your trip to Munich in Germany, for example? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I was very fortunate growing up to have various travel experiences. And so when my mom brought up the idea, she had professor friends in Munich. When she brought up the idea that I could go just kind of work, study, not affiliated with U of M or anything like that, but just go and work with one of her professor friends for a few months and see what it's like to just live somewhere else. And also I was majoring in, well, I did major in, but you know, we're talking about current time story, how, how it goes. I was majoring in actuarial mathematics. And right, you're going to have to define that first for us. Actuarial <laughs> oh, math. Oh gosh, I should have looked up a definition ahead of time. Um, maybe I'll leave that for people to Google on their own. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um, a type honestly, of math. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a type of math. It's a lot of statistics. It's um, very based in insurance, which actually leads me to why my mom suggested I go to Munich, which is a hub for insurance and also reinsurance. And so she suggested I go and audit some classes, work with a professor, and just see if I even liked the career anymore, just to see if I was even interested in pursuing insurance. And my mom is a professor of risk management and insurance. So super dry, but she loves it. And obviously I'm, I'm so impressed with her all the time, which we can talk about all the reasons I'm impressed with her as we continue on. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so I went and it was, it was actually really hard. It was harder than I thought it would be to be three months in a country that a lot of people speak English. It's, uh, obviously it's very developed and easy to get around And I still, it was hard. It's hard being alone. It's hard when you try to tell a story and people don't quite get your humor or your jokes or you're, or they're telling you a story and you don't quite get their humor or their jokes or, um, just those gaps. And then not really being able to find people my own age. I joined an international club at the university. I was auditing the classes and, you know, a few people we would hang out, and uh, I remember my 21st birthday was there, and so we all went to this club, and, and the, that was really the drinking fun. age is uh, 18, correct? <laughs> it was 18, yeah. So even 20, even turning 21 wasn't that yeah. big of a deal. Uh, I, uh, so yeah, I, I can relate to that. I, I turned 21 in Australia, and uh, drinking age was 19, so it was. It was a blast. Yeah, don't it's don't little, get me wrong, yeah. but it was yeah, but it was it's just a little bit yeah. of that anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like okay, but I mean, yeah, it was just a hard three months, and but I mean, looking back at it now, it's one of my favorite places, and I'm so grateful I had those three months there, and that I had the opportunity and the connections to even go there. And was that your was yeah. that your first time, you know? being out of the country was that for your first time being out of the country for an extended period or was uh, that on the actually well i've taken trips with my family before then but mm-hmm. actually uh when i was 11 or 12 i went to australia for two weeks as a people-to-people student ambassador i don't even know if that still exists but this it was fantastic with, how did yeah, that slip through the cracks? With, <laughs> I don't know. 
It was with like another group of students, like, or I shouldn't say another group of students. It was a group of students. I was just with a whole bunch of students. It was about 40 of us total, I think, and maybe five chaperones. Um, but we basically met uh, for months leading up to this trip learning about culture in Australia and how to carry ourselves, how to be polite, how to manage our money. It was Wait, how, it was old, really, how old were you? I was like 11 or 12. Wow, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, I found the scrapbook the other day. It was pretty funny to look through. <laughs> what an experience. Uh, what part of Australia did you go to? Uh, so we started, it was all on the East Coast, and we started uh, fairly north, I want to say Brisbane or like Rockhampton, I think mm-hmm. is pretty north, and then essentially just worked our way down all the way to Sydney. That's incredible. I um, yeah. I, I live just an, an hour north of, of Brisbane uh, in the Gold Coast. I, I studied there for, oh, for a couple months. Uh, it was like six months. It was amazing. Australia yeah. is a pretty a couple. Six months is great. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was a, a really uh, a really amazing part of my personal travel journey. Uh, going down I there bet. for the it was the first time that I I lived abroad without. Um, my parents. I mean, it was the first time I, I traveled yeah. abroad without my parents, let alone live in a place for a long period of time. So Australia definitely holds a very special place in my uh, scrapbook as well. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Very cool. So that's 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 a really amazing experience that you had. So that helped shape kind of some of your early perceptions uh, and I'm sure kind of uh, whether you were aware of them or not when you were living in Germany. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Whether I was aware of it or not, definitely. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, I find the more that you travel, the more you realize how much you haven't traveled. (laughs) It's, it's this weird, (laughs) this weird thing that happens where all of a sudden the entire world, uh, seems to be inviting you to go visit and learn and, and explore. Right. And, but isn't that just so amazing? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's 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 part of what is so addicting about it, and what I absolutely love about about just kind of getting out of uh, the the complacency of daily life and and kind of challenging the status quo. In that, you show up in a new place and you are essentially a toddler again, having to learn how to eat and talk and go to the bathroom and all of the things uh, day one. Yes. And I think it's <laughs> it's a bit more extreme in certain. Uh, certain circumstances than than others but right <laughs> so you you graduated from u of m with a degree in actuarial math don't want to lose yes, that one <laughs> i did end up getting the degree i did uh what i decided not to be an actuary my senior year but i thought i'm too far along i'm going to get the degree and then i don't know if you recall but current uh president at the time president obama uh actually spoke at the 2010 graduation that's amazing yeah i had i had to graduate on time of course for that reason i couldn't change my major at that point (laughs) yeah we do a lot of things for obama absolutely (laughs) but i mean honestly i really do like math so in the end i'm I'm still really passionate about math so that wasn't going to change too far from actuarial even if i had changed it that's very cool do you have a math button what's a math button so so Andrew Yang uh, in in the Democratic primaries and every debate was wearing a math button 
And because uh, that's kind of oh, his gig, yeah. is he always he always offers up numbers. <laughs> yes, so I, I just yes. assumed maybe all you math people just have math buttons I, as a prerequisite for something. No, but no, I don't have a math button. I had a math Olympiad shirt for a while, uh, but I wasn't in the Olympiad. I just had like one of those funny shirts from, you know, whatever Urban Outfitters or some kind of funny store. And I just wore it. And, and it said it said at uh, the bottom, you want some of this. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that is pretty funny. I yeah, I I had so many ridiculous shirts. <laughs> growing up. Yeah, let's not talk about fashion because that's just a rabbit hole that that I don't think I want to go down. <laughs> so thinking, you know, like U of M is an incredible place, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons that it's that it really is uh, uh, quite a historical and and powerful place is, you know, as you know very well, nineteen. Uh, 61, uh, then Senator John F. Kennedy stood on the steps of the Michigan Union and first introduced the concept of the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, I I, I worked Just for the chills. Peace Corps. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I worked for the Peace Corps for a couple years at, at U of M and got got to, you know, chat with the next generation of, of Wolverines that were answering the call to head out for service. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about how how your journey in a Peace Corps began, uh, being so familiar with the other side of it, both obviously having served with you, but uh, having lived and worked at, at the University of Michigan right. on, on yeah, that I side. Yeah, I love how we have all these connections now, and they're, they're just going to keep forming. <laughs> We're going to get you swimming. That's going to happen. Um. <laughs> I, I, I do one day want to, you know, I, I probably shouldn't just put this on the record here, but I, I am... I'm gunning for an Ironman at, ah, at some point in my life, good. so we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll, we'll unpack yeah. that later. I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh gosh, what was the question again? Yeah. No. So you know, U of M has this incredible Peace Corps history, and I, I'm yes, really just yes. okay, I'm, I'm just curious to everyone's got their own path in, right? Like, oh, yeah. and like I had a recruiter, and I had. I had my own kind of uh, experience in talking to return Peace Corps volunteers and trying mm-hmm. to c- trying to like put together what this this crazy thing uh, that that when I was a sophomore in college and these two Peace Corps volunteers came into my classroom at Colorado State and they gave this PowerPoint presentation about living in the Philippines on an island for two years <laughs> as Peace Corps volunteers. I literally. I remember like explicitly having this thought of like, why would you do that? And I would never do something like that. I just didn't get it at that, that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fast forward through a couple of years and things change, but I'd be really curious to see kind of how, how your path uh, formed at U of M. Yeah. I actually don't quite recall like the first seed that was planted. I, I want to say it was probably my mom like brought it up about, travel and living abroad and then maybe suggested she'd heard of the Peace Corps and how it's something she'd always wanted to do. I'm thinking that's where it started. I didn't know anyone that served any connection like that at the time. And I went to an info session at Michigan. No one came to my classes. I mean, no one's coming to the actuarial math classes. Uh, but I went to just like period, I went to a right? session. like full stop. Yeah. Like it was just you and the professor. <laughs> yeah. So I went to a session and then I think I also uh, read or heard that you could go to REI. But now I'm thinking about whether I went to REI in Michigan or it must have been in Colorado later when I lived in Colorado. So anyway, I graduated 
And at that point, seeds had been planted. I decided to start the application. And I completed the application in July, so after I graduated, just during the summer, and I was working retail. Side note, I worked at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> so big change from being a math major to, oh, what should I do now? I'll just, I'll just work at the mall for a little while. <laughs> so wait, you're telling me that, that Victoria's Secret is not a common <laughs> career path for actuarial math? I don't think so. I'm not sure okay. uh, bras <laughs> and underwear mitigate a ton of risks, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's probably some math in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, they did hire me as a cashier, so that was a little bit. But <laughs> I mean, I knew that was I knew that was going to be a partial kind of dive into the next whatever I wanted to do next. So, yeah, I applied to the Peace Corps, and then you know the process takes a while, it takes uh, anywhere from eight to twelve months, maybe longer if if you're trying to get past medical barriers and or all those assessments, I should say. Uh, and so I moved to Colorado, actually, which I love that we have that connection as well. Um, I moved just to live with my aunt and uncle and explore a new state while I was waiting. And they, you know, they say in Peace Corps, don't quit your job, don't sell your car, like all those major things. So I just kept living life, you know, okay, I'll, I'll work in Colorado for a little bit. And I continue to work retail. Where did you live in Colorado? Um, I lived just south of Denver. It was like Lone Tree area. Yeah. Cool. And then I Beautiful. and then I had some friends up in Boulder kind of reconnected with actually reconnected with an old swim team friend that I knew in Connecticut. So that was one one awesome thing about living back there again to reconnect with her. And Very um cool. and yeah, and then just spend time with my aunt and uncle, which was really lovely as well. So and then that brings us to May twenty eleven is when I headed out to Ethiopia was my assignment. <laughs> which I laugh at because my interview uh, during my interview, having a Spanish background, I'd studied Spanish for almost 10 years and I'd majored in math. And so the interviewer thought, I mean, this is what he told me. Oh, oh, you'll end up in South America teaching math. That's that's definitely what you're going to end up doing. And so then when my letter in the mail came that I was chosen for Ethiopia teaching English, <laughs> I thought, OK, well, <laughs> maybe I should learn how to teach English. So I actually dove into like an online course for getting a TEFL certified. So teaching English as a foreign language. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I I reflect on my own uh, timeline. It took me a year and a half to go from application to mm. uh, shoes on the ground in Ethiopia and um, you know, I, I I probably should mention uh, that our the Peace Corps the entire application process has changed since you and I right, went right. through yeah. it. Right, right, yeah. Anyone listening uh, to this it's, now, it's streamlined. You can apply to a, a country. You can apply to a specific job. Uh, it's it's very different. Yes. Uh, but but back in the old days, we we received letters. Actually, I remember one of the kind of the craziest parts about the process is, you know, I got a phone call and it was, uh, you know, someone from DC from, from Peace Corps saying, Hey, uh, just wanted to let you know, uh, we're extending an invitation for you to serve in the Peace Corps. Congratulations. And I was like, super excited. And I was like, great, where am I going to serve? And they were like, sub-Saharan Africa, you should receive a, a, a letter in the mail between seven to 10 Mine was days. the same thing. Same and thing. I was, yep. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? You can't like, you can't literally say the country. know like you have this on a computer screen in front of you right now and you can't say it to me. Yep. So it just like built that anticipation. Um, and then my mom actually called me and was like, it's here. And I'm like driving like, you know, as fast as I can from my dorm room uh, back back home. And I'm like, do not open it. 
And you know, I get home and I open it up and I I see Ethiopia and just you know, I I knew very very little about Ethiopia. Same. And, Do you still have that uh, paper? By the way, what? I still have that. It's incredible. You know. It could be somewhere at my parents' house in Colorado, but mm. I'm I'm not sure. I do have a lot of a lot of those types mm-hmm. of papers. It sounds like something I would have saved. However, I have no idea where it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before we jump into you know Ethiopia, because there's definitely a lot a lot there, but um, maybe we should explain a little bit about what what Peace Corps is. Like, what is what is the agency and what are the goals? Do you want to maybe just talk through that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, where to start? Um, yeah, it was founded, just like you said, 1961, I believe, unless it took a little bit of time to have it fully fleshed out, 1962. And March, March, March 1st, 1961. 61. Okay, there we go. Executive, Executive order, order, JFK. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a call to American citizens to give two years in voluntary service Uh, in some other country uh, to help another country. But uh, the three goals that defined the service, the two-year commitment, were the first one was, you know, helping build capacity, helping teach skills and share your knowledge. And then the second two goals, which I always mix up the order of them, but was experience share. So being a, you know, American, sharing your your culture, your experience, uh, your history with the country uh, people that you're working with. And then the other goal was the opposite. So it's learning about the culture of your colleagues, your friends, um, anyone in that country you're serving. So for you and I, learning about our Ethiopian friends as much as we can and their culture and their families and history and their language, food, you know, all the good things about Ethiopia and then sharing it back uh, with Americans. So sharing it back to, to our family back in the States and trying to uh, really bridge the gap between our countries and fortify like really strong friendship relationships. Yeah, that was very well articulated. And I think the really powerful thing about about those goals and really about uh, having served in the Peace Corps is that that goal three that you just described never mm-hmm. ends. And we're actually currently fulfilling it in this conversation in that we're talking about our experiences in That's Ethiopia. Right. And I think that 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 for me has been such a such an amazing blessing to have, and you know I think most most Peace Corps volunteers would say, you know, the goal one, uh, building that capacity, and you know for me it was uh, being an environment volunteer. A lot of it was environmental education, or you know, fruit tree distribution, mm-hmm. or gardening, or composting, those types of things, and running amazing um, camps. Give and yourself credit. Camps, and, <laughs> yeah. And, no, we did a lot, and like I think that that goal one is is obviously really really important, and there's there's a lot of really cool numbers you can mm-hmm. tick off, and really amazing stories too. But I think the the relationships uh, are the things that really stick, and whether we're in in touch with folks in Ethiopia now or not, uh, it's really those relationships that we developed while we were there that really had that lasting impact. I agree. Definitely. So you were an education volunteer. Yes, I was assigned to be an English teacher trainer at a college of teacher education, which is a a teacher's college, basically. So it trains young men and women to become primary school teachers. And very quickly, 
I had to learn that not everyone wants to work with me. Not everyone wanted to learn from me and that's okay. And I, that's a, that's typically a advice I give to current or to future volunteers. I say, not everyone's going to want your advice. They're not going to want to work with you. So you really hold on to the people that want to work with you that are excited to be in the same room as you. And which for me ended up being not so much the instructors of the college, but actually just a lot of the current students. So I ended up having a lot of trainings for the students and and that was that brought me a lot of joy and I think it brought them joy and we, you know, celebrated different holidays together and I created an, an American holidays. I remember doing like a Halloween scavenger hunt and teaching them about Halloween and then we exchanged scary stories. Like I heard scary stories that Ethiopians tell each other and um, you know, just things like that, like running fun clubs, fun discussions, and then essentially trying to weave all of these activities, all of these things we do into like a toolkit for them to be able to take with them out into the primary schools. So they learned from me, like all of these things are ways to teach. You can take all of this with you and teach your primary school students, your future students that you have. You can come up with fun ideas. It doesn't have to be chalk on the blackboard, straight lecture, you know? Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Does, so you, you mentioned already an example, but is there, is there maybe a lesson that, that sticks out for you as maybe one of the most enjoyable, enjoyable or, or impactful lessons that you taught? Uh, to my students, I'm trying to think another impactful lesson. Um, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Should have reflect on in this. Um, I think I just really liked hearing their debates and the way they would structure arguments. I think that was impactful and listening to each other. And I mean, honestly, I tell people I learned a lot from my own students. I think they had a lot of patience with each other, patience with me. And that's what, I mean, that's what I like to share is I think a lot in the end I learned more maybe, <laughs> but I think confidence building, that's a lesson that I was really trying to encourage them. Like, it's okay if you talk in a quieter voice among friends or when you're in the cafe, but as a teacher to hold authority, to be proud of being a teacher in Ethiopia, that you're training, you know, you're teaching the next generation. And I mean, that's something obviously we struggle with worldwide, just valuing the profession Mm -hmm. of being a teacher. So that's a, that's a lesson I really tried to stress with them. Yeah, and I remember, you know, at the summer camps that you had mentioned before, you know, a lot of that, um, you know, was focused on on female empowerment, and mm-hmm. a lot of it was focused really on lifting up the women and the girls of the country. Um, and there's there's one particular memory that stands out for me that's that's kind of in the same topic of of you know sports. So I, I remember we were, you know, it was during the Olympics. Um, and there was actually a, 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 I think it was the the sixteen hundred, mm-hmm. um, and it was you know two Ethiopian women versus two uh, two female runners from Kenya, and uh, they were you know neck and neck, and um, the the thing the thing you know before we before I get to the details, we actually this wasn't live. We just pulled up a video of it uh, on YouTube, and it actually had already right. happened. So we all knew the outcome, but our campers did not because they were so bogged down with being campers. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we played this race for them and uh, it was neck and neck and it was really intense. And everyone in the whole room 
um, was, you know, really, really into it. And ultimately the, the two Ethiopian runners got first and second place in the race and, uh, the Kenyan runners got third and fourth and, you know, knowing, knowing what I know about running. And I think, I think most of the world, uh, kind of sees the rivalry between Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda. Uh, so whenever Ethiopia can beat Kenya, that's something to celebrate (laughs) for sure. But these, these kids were just so excited that they broke out into their national anthem and started singing. And, uh, I remember like, I'm getting chills right now. (laughs) And I, I remember actually after they sang, they said, okay, uh, now it's your turn. And they made us sing the the American national anthem (laughs) as well. Yes. That was, that was a magical day for sure. Those are the moments that really, uh, stick with you. Those, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it really is an incredible place. And, um, you know, so outside of being an educational volunteer and, and training the teachers and, and building that capacity, um, you know, I know many of us were trying to, whether it was to, to stay in shape and stay healthy or whether it was to actually compete, um, many of us were trying to figure out how to how to stay active. And um, I don't know if you participated in like P90X or Insanity. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> I did. I remember nice. uh, uh, my friend Bailey did the uh, Insanity. She got everyone together to do it. So we were all texting whether we'd done it that day and completed it. And she'd emailed out like the calendar to follow. <laughs> Is that the one where the guy was like yelling at you to dig deeper the yes. whole time? I don't know. I don't know. I actually couldn't get into it because I actually had an experience where I was I was trying to do it. And then I like I was slacking off. And then he was telling me I was doing a good job. And I was like, dude, you don't even see me. I'm not <laughs> that doing was a good it job. You're you like, no. Nope. <laughs> and that was it. I was like, I need it synchronous or nothing, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, it's amazing. So, you know, you you did a lot in, in Ethiopia and I'm actually really curious too, um, thinking about kind of where you're at now with, with some of those athletic endeavors that you've, you've been able to carve out for yourself. Um, you know, in, in Ethiopia, I know that you, I think you ran, um, you ran a race, uh, I think in outside of the country while you were, you were there. So I remember you training for a race. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? basically, I started running at the end of college. My roommate was pretty burnt. My roommate was a water polo player, too, and she was pretty burnt out from water polo and swimming and all of that. And she wanted to get into running. So we both got into it together. And for anyone who first starts running, you might hate it for a while. <laughs> That's what I tell anyone, that you're probably going to not enjoy it for a while until your body starts to get used to that sensation, like your feet hitting the pavement, your heart beating out of your chest until you start to really get used to it. And then it starts to feel almost meditative. And then we all know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, too, when you run long enough, you feel that runner's high and it's wonderful. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I took the running with me through Colorado and then into Ethiopia. And that was my way of keeping in shape, keeping healthy, happy mind and body. And, I did the half marathon that was, it was called the great Ethiopian run. It was in Awasa at the time. And I think they still put on different races, around the country like that. And I think you that was did, one of my yeah. favorite races. I did that twice. Really incredible race. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, that's amazing that you were able to get get there again for it. I only did it one of the years I was there. Um, and then 
basically because I'd ran the half and it wasn't my first half. I actually ran a half marathon back in Colorado, but because I ran another half and abroad and I trained all on my own, I just thought, why not keep going? So I ended up training for a marathon and I was looking for a marathon to do outside of the country because I'd already had travel plans to go to Paris and stay with my friend there. And so I found a marathon in Fusen, just outside of Munich. And I thought, well, I know Munich. And if I fly from Paris to Munich and then I take a train to Fusen, I'll run this marathon. And I did. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was great. And I mean, if you've never been to like the outside of Munich, um, the Neuschwanstein, that castle that's famous, I'm sure you've seen photos. That's where the marathon is. Yeah. Yeah. We, I actually, that's incredible. I went there with, with Mary, Bernard and Catherine <laughs> yeah. when we were out there. That's, so that's where the marathon is. You <laughs> just run amazing. all around that area. Wonderful. It's just gorgeous. So you, you basically just, you took this thing on by yourself. You, you made a, a solo trip to run a marathon. Yes. Your first marathon. Yes. That's that's incredible. What what really drove you to to doing that? I know that you said you had you had some background in running the the half marathons, but what was what was your thought process on stepping it up to a longer distance? I think I think I'm just someone who's goal oriented. It's just always been in me to challenge myself and I think I just wanted to run a marathon. Like I did the half and I thought well, if other people can run a marathon, why not me? And I think I was enjoying running so much at that point. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, I'm sure you know this too. It's just so beautiful running in the countryside in Ethiopia and having, you know, people wave at you and you stop to talk to a farmer and it's just, it was lovely. And so I think my running, I just kept running and kept running and I was getting closer and closer to this other town. And I think Part of me in my mind, I thought maybe one day I'll get to that town and I'll just surprise everyone because I'll just show up and order breakfast or something. <laughs> I never actually did. So that's that'll have to be a future goal. Uh, but um, I'll have to get back there and do that. But yeah, I think in, I think I just decided I want to run a marathon and then I was yeah. hooked. I mean, the feeling you get from running yeah, a marathon. I, I can re- relate in many ways. And I think that in Ethiopia, too, I, it it set me on a, a, a running trajectory that I don't think I could have seen coming um, you know, having played soccer for my whole life and, you know, I, I tried to play soccer in Ethiopia. However, you know, the, the conditions were a little different than the, the grass fields I was used to playing on with my cleats. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, obviously right. that, it was going to be like that, but I, I actually, you know, I got a few little injuries and I, I've got glass ankles, Allie. So, uh, I, you know, if, if I, if I get injured, I can't work. And, uh, I, I just was like, well, what, what else can I do? Uh, so I just started running and Mm -hmm. it it just kind of turned out to be this thing that, like you said, running in the Ethiopian countryside, uh, is, is a once in a lifetime thing. It's, it's really the most beautiful place. You know, the, the scenery is just unbelievable. The weather is 75 and sunny every single day. Yeah. The people that you run, you run with and you run around and you run by are just incredible. And, uh, when you have the local language and you're able to, you know, communicate with people and just talk, uh, it really opens up worlds. And I'm sure we both have many stories of venturing outside of our sites and and meeting some (laughs) of the most incredible Ethiopians that live out in the countryside. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. yeah. What, what a powerful experience that was. Definitely. I know. And I actually, yeah. And I really admired that even when I came back and, you know, started 
I went on my grad school path and I was looking back at photos of you still in Ethiopia and and these races you were putting on and these group relays you were doing. And I was so jealous. I wanted to be back there running with you yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, we, we did that right after you all left. I think it was just, it was about three, yes. maybe three or four months after you left. We did that long, that long run. Um, and, uh, yeah. I remember actually like talking to Mary about it. Um, and for those of you listening, Mary's, uh, was also a Peace Corps volunteer in Ethiopia. Now my wife of five years and, you know, she came back here to Michigan and, uh, she's actually one of the main reasons that I got pulled into running in Ethiopia. Uh, she, you know, one day, one day I was visiting her, her site and she pulled me, pulled me on a run and her site, um, as you know, Ali is, uh, <laughs> it's up in the mountains, <laughs> just put it that way. And, uh, she kicked my ass. I was on the side of the road throwing up and, uh, I tried to tell her I was sick or I, I ate some bad, uh, some bad injera or some bad durawa or something, but, uh, she didn't buy it. <laughs> She's like, no, don't yeah, blame my friends cooking. Keep running. But you know, but it's it is funny though, because like I think the you know, the some of the folks that I really would have loved to have on the that running adventure that we organized, um, you know, were already out of the country at the time. But listen, we're gonna have to go back and do something. Mm-hmm. Ethiopia is still there, so. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah, of course. Well, it'll take us a little bit of time to acclimate true, again. True. Well, I'm not necessarily <laughs> so. For that run, we actually uh, we ran around the mountains. We didn't go through the mountains. So. <laughs> okay. There are, okay. Well, I just sure, mean elevation, yeah. though, in general. Yeah, right? there's also that. I, you know, I miss that because you know, in Colorado, I never had to. I was always, you know, on the winning side of that equation, and now living in the Midwest. Right. Uh, our elevation is not quite quite the same. <laughs> so, you know, I I'm really interested to to dive into kind of some of your your practice with yoga as well and um I think a really good place to to dive in there is, you know, how did you how did you get into it? I know that you did yoga in Ethiopia. I I remember pretty vividly uh trying I think we probably did yoga together at some point. Um but you know, how did how did you go from there to to where you are now? Yeah, great question. So I actually started practicing yoga in Colorado, but I don't tend to tell people that because the way I viewed it was more of a workout. I think I just wanted to sweat, wanted to lose weight, wanted to look fit, and I wasn't really attached to any of the spiritual part of the practice. And so when I went into the Peace Corps, I would try to do it kind of in that same mindset, like, oh, I just need to keep healthy. I just need to keep the weight off or work my core today or something like that. And I remember even trying to combine like my ab workouts with yoga and reflecting back on that now, I kind of laugh at myself. Like it just wasn't quite the practice I have now, what I would consider more well-rounded and more spiritual and more aware of the tradition. Uh, So bringing it up to uh, that time in my life, I finished grad school and I moved in with my mom in Florida while I was looking for jobs. I'd majored in international educational development at Penn. So pretty good degree looking for jobs. And I was only unemployed for a few months. But even those few months of being unemployed, you are really just I mean, you need routine. I tell anyone who's unemployed, get on a routine 
whether it's job hunting for a few hours a day and then you take a walk and then you job hunt again or you learn something, take a webinar, whatever it is, get into a routine. And part of my routine was practicing yoga and I kind of refound it for myself by looking through Instagram. I mean, I had friends, I mean, you, you know, when we were in Ethiopia, Instagram wasn't really a thing. And then it became this popular app when we returned and I had friends that say, oh, you should download this. You should share photos. You put a filter on a photo. And the whole thing made zero sense to me. I thought, why would anyone want to put a filter on a photo and post sure. it? <laughs> but I saw, yeah, I mean, I saw I saw people doing yoga poses. Like, at first I used the app like anyone else. You just, you just take a photo, put a filter, and so post it. So kind of where I'm then, at right now. <laughs> and then I started seeing, yeah, yeah, like, you're just not really sure, like, what do people do with this? Like... And, you know, your circle is very small. Your friends like your pictures. And it's like a photo you choose not to do, post on Facebook for whatever reason. Like, has no... I mean, I remember my first few photos were like, here's me in my Michigan sweatshirt. Like, I just had no idea how to use the app, like what to do with it. And then I started seeing... I don't know how this popped up. Maybe just other people were doing yoga challenges. And I saw their friends uh, reposting. Because this is before... I think Instagram didn't even really have, like a timeline yet or like a feed like you just kind of had to know who to follow and so I started seeing people post other yogis that they followed or they would say I'm doing this challenge by so and so so then I went to that person's page and I thought oh I can do this challenge and that became like I said that became part of my routine was to do this yoga challenge and yeah I just dove into it and and I by, by dove in I mean I really fell in love with a certain style called Ashtanga yoga and it's a very rigorous style of practice, very uh, methodical, which I think my math brain loved that. You do the same series every day. You do your mm-hmm. five sun salutation A's, your three sun salutation B's, and then you flow through this sequence of poses. And by the end, you are completely wiped out from head to toe in the mind, in your body. There's nothing left, you're just empty. And it's this wonderful feeling and yeah i think just sharing my photos and connecting with others my following started to grow and my page started to become not just this personal alley posting her michigan (laughs) sweatshirt or whatever i was doing before then it became this page where i had yoga friends and people asked me to host challenges and then i was hosting challenges and I just, I kept up with Ashtanga for a while, but then it was just hard to balance still being a runner and then diving into mm-hmm. triathlon, which I'll, I'll, I can stop talking <laughs> no, now if, I you mean, I, any, if you want to ask it, about any know, of that. It, it sounds like a confluence of a, a number of things that really, really came together, uh, you know, as it sounds like you really started as a, a student again uh, in and using kind of Instagram mm-hmm. as as a group of teachers and as a, a community that was out there practicing. And uh, I'm, I mean, that's really fantastic. And I think that that highlights a lot of the positivity around these types of uh, social media companies and what they're offering. It's really about those, those connections. And it sounds like you've had a pretty kind of organic path, uh, you know, into what, what now has become kind of your, your, I guess, followers, but I would say your your students, your audience, and folks that you engage with, um, and that I mean that's a really fantastic mm-hmm. story. And I know that you know your your mom and yeah. uh, Nick make awesome cameos every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and they help. They, my mom used to be the one who would take my early, early on photos. I'd say, oh, I'm doing this yoga challenge. Can you take a photo of me outside in the front yard? I have to do tree pose. And then she'd be like, really? Okay. <laughs> so now, now Nick has graduated <laughs> and, to that position yeah. or what? <laughs> Yeah. And I've also, you know, purchased Mm -hmm. a tripod in the meantime. And, you know, I do a lot on my own now. But I think actually one part of my journey that I should share that's just really amazing is that very early on when I tell you that I fell in love with the practice of Ashtanga, I followed Kino McGregor, who I still greatly admire. She's an incredible yoga teacher and has a very dedicated practice. Uh, She's based in Miami. So I started following her and I bought her videos, just a small package of videos that I could practice at home because I, again, I was unemployed. I wasn't looking to join a studio or spend a lot of money on classes. So I practiced by myself at home. And over the years, I just kept following her, kept in touch, you know, made sure I looked up whenever she had workshops and always was like, okay, that I'm going to get to one one day. I'm going to, I'm going to get to meet her. And I actually, I flew for work. I was working, um, down in South Florida for a education project. And I saw her in the Miami airport and, and I just, I mean, she just glows <laughs> her whole aura and everything. And I told her this too. So she knows, <laughs> I believe this about her, but I, uh, I, you know, that was the first time I saw her in person. And I said, I'm, I'm still trying to get to one of your workshops one day, like one day, because she's, you know, she travels all around the world. So even if you're in Miami, she might not be there. And down the line, she started a website called Ohm Stars. And she off, she asked if people would kickstart the project or be part of it. And I decided, why not? Like, I'm, I want to be part of this. I want to go to a training with you. And so I actually went to a five-day training with her in Miami, finally. And that was in, it was December of 2017. So I finally got to meet her in person. And then she, very soon after that, asked me if I wanted to film for her new website for OnStars. So I actually filmed uh, seven or eight classes uh, yoga Very for cool. runners that are still like in process of being edited. But the long story short, it's just crazy that you can see someone and meet someone and, and then five years later, like not even like know that you're going to, your journey is going to go where it, where it goes and be like filming with them. You know, it was, it was just incredible. So I tell people too, like, don't, I think a lot of people with their five-year plan, like sell themselves short almost sometimes. It's like, they don't dream big enough because if you'd asked me five years, you know, when I first started practicing, what do, what do you think you'll be doing in five years? I would never have said I'll be teaching yoga and filming classes with this person. I'm now really, you know, really admire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, we're all sitting on a reservoir of, of incredible untapped potential and yes, I, yes. you know, you, we, we often take ourselves out of the game, right? You know, we, we make decisions that, uh, that remove us from those, those kind of risks that, you know, where we can step into growth. And, uh, cause I think a lot of us are afraid of others taking us out of those, those areas of growth. Right. And I think that a lot of the, the path that you've kind of walked out for us in this conversation, uh, speaks to that, like very authentically and, and genuinely, and that you are consistently looking for opportunities to grow and looking for kind of the next thing, uh, you know, do do something every day that's going to scare the shit out of you <laughs> and, you know, push yourself into those, those gray zones that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that is really where 
where we all see true growth, right? Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. I think, and and actually now talking through all this with you, I really am reflecting more on my journey of how so much of it is being okay with being a beginner, like not being afraid to just, whether it's starting something new or being bad at something and trying it for the first time. And I think a lot of that was through all of the times I had to move and try to make new friends you know, join another swim team or join another band, orchestra, you know, all the different activities I did growing up, having to keep rejoining, restarting, re, you know, kind of reaffirming the the goals and then still seeing this long-term journey of the person that I'm going to become, like not letting any of that defeat you. And I'm fumbling over words here as I talk this through, <laughs> being okay with being awkward, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of that is, has come from my mom, actually. I've seen it in my mom, how she, she's never afraid to be bad at something. She'll try something and mess it up or be kind of goofy. And I think, you know, when you're a kid, you're kind of embarrassed about that. Like, oh, geez. But when you get older, it's something that now I admire so deeply in my mom that she goes after things and she never questions like, I'm too old for that. Or I'm too, you know, too X, Y, Z for that. She'll just go for it. Like, why not now? Like, I, I want to try that. Let's do it. You know, and it doesn't have to be anything dangerous or anything risky. It can be something as simple as, oh, I've always wanted to learn how to knit. I'm going to learn how to knit now or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you want something bad enough, you'll you'll figure out a pathway to, f- to figure it out. Like you'll figure out a pathway to to that that mountaintop and you know, that's, I think that's a lesson that I've, I've learned over and over again. And I think a lot of it has to do with consistent practice and patience mm-hmm. and just kind of committing yourself to, to a daily routine or to a practice. Um, you know, I, what you said about the job search really resonated with me in that, you know, you need to kind of approach life. Uh, you need to be flexible, but you need to be committed. Right. And you need to yes. understand that we're all, you know, whatever success looks like for you, whatever your marathon is or your Ironman or um, or whatever that that piece is for you, you know, once you set your sights on it and you start identifying what what are those barriers that stand between me and that goal and which of these barriers are actually real and which of these are just in my head. Right. Once you start picking that apart, you start seeing pathways. Yes, pathways definitely. Forward. So I, you know, I want to definitely talk about, you know, you transitioning, uh, you know, into Ironman. And I'm actually really curious mm-hmm. about this one because you were, you know, a swimmer. Um, you've, you've talked about running. I don't have any idea if you have any background in biking, but I think <laughs> uh, the sport in general, I, I think, is extremely intriguing, uh, really challenging in many ways. Um, and I'd love to know how you put those pieces together. Also, yoga is not quite part of that yet. However, <laughs> um, I know you're also doing some stuff to start uh, tying that in as well. Yeah, bringing yoga to triathletes. It's another little side hustle. Um, yeah, for so for Ironman, my mom uh, told me she was training for, for this race in Chattanooga, Ironman Chattanooga. And I remember having to look up what it was and learn more about it. And I had an old, I think a lot of kids had like those old Timex watches that said Iron Man on the watch, but I never knew what that meant. Like, I didn't know that that was actually a race. And, and she said she was going to do it. And, um, she visited me in Ethiopia and I remember she was like really strong, really ripped. She wanted to go running. 
And I was so impressed. She was she was in the throes of her training. And and then after Has she been an athlete? Like is is your mom just an athlete? This is amazing to me that your mom yeah, does she, Ironmans. She's been an athlete off and on her life for sure. Um obviously it's hard when you're a mom and have two kids. But in high school she ran cross country and I think tra- well track and cross country. I'm not sure exactly all of her events, but I know she participated in both and she swam a little bit, I think, and I mean, my mom is just so impressive. She was like scuba diving certified and then like taught scuba diving while she was in undergrad, I think. And then, and then, um, like later on, she, I mean, she's learned how to fly airplanes. She brews beer, like just, just you name it. She's interested it's like in like a renaissance it. woman. Yeah. That's what a lot of people say, a renaissance woman. So, <laughs> and again, just never afraid to try things. And I think the, I don't even remember how that goal of Ironman came about, but she was doing smaller triathlons because there's different distances. She was doing sprints and Olympics and those are much, um, they're just shorter. And, and then I think at some point she just decided she wanted to be an Ironman. She'd had, you know, she connected with different people, different friends and decided that Chattanooga was the one she was going to go for. And it was the first year that they were doing Chattanooga. So she was like, I'm going to be part of the inaugural race. And at the time when she did the race, I was actually in Uganda for an internship for grad school. So this is right before I, uh, actually moved to Florida to live with my mom. So I'm in Uganda finishing up this internship. And I remember trying to get on Wi-Fi so I could like track her. And of course, Ironmans take, you know, hours upon hours. So it's not like I was going to sit at the computer. So there's like, you know, one time of the day where I log on and I see she's, she's on the bike now. Okay. The swim is done. And then I log on later and I see she's on the run. Okay. But yeah. And for those who are listening, who don't know the distances an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. And then you bike for 112 miles, but in Ironman Chattanooga, the bike is actually, I think, 114 miles. It's like two miles extra for some reason. And and then you run a full marathon. So you put all that together and it's 140.6. So if you've ever seen those stickers on someone's car, that's what they've, assumedly, that's what they've done. <laughs> and she did it. So end of that story, Incredible. she did it. She inspired me to... Not necessarily dive right into being an Ironman, but when I moved in with her, I was interested in being a triathlete as well. I was interested in giving it a try, as I say. So I tried a few sprints and some Olympics, but I was still really into being a runner. I was still like, oh, I'm going to run marathons. I was still kind of trying to check off marathon number two, number three, number four. Mm -hmm. And... So by the time I'd run my fifth marathon, then I was ready to just dive more into triathlons. And so, yeah, and then I just proceeded to do uh, longer ones because I realized I prefer the longer distances over the sprints. I'm not much of a sprinter. And the longer the distance, like the longer each of the legs become. So I actually really liked a longer swim. I felt like that gave me more of an advantage. And the cycling, you're right. I was not like, I didn't grow up being a cyclist, but I, you know, I learned how to ride a bike like a lot of children do. And the, the, the most biking, I really cycling biking that I ever really did was just riding to work when I was a lifeguard. So I didn't really have a lot of road experience. Definitely didn't ride a tri bike before. Definitely didn't know what it was like to go down into the aero position on aero bars so I had a lot to learn. It was pretty scary to start, but you figure it out. You have a good support group. Thankfully, 
if you're in, um, you know, I mean, not even major cities, a lot of places now just have little tri groups and tri clubs that you can join in little startup mm-hmm. groups, which has been really wonderful. That's, that's amazing. The half ones are really fun because the half mm-hmm. Ironmans, they take, for me, I, I do it in under six hours. So for me, it does feel like you get up, you do the race and then you're over by like 1 PM. And to me, that's, that's pretty nice. You still have the rest of the day. Like that's a nice Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. It's a nice Saturday, nice Sunday. Like the rest of the day I've, I've been able to enjoy a brewery and hang out with friends and kind of celebrate the race. Um, the one full I've done. So yes, I have done a full Ironman was Ironman Florida in 2018. And if, uh, people recall, that's when a really big hurricane, of course I can't recall the name, but a really big hurricane really devastated Panama City Beach. And that's where the race occurs every year. And Ironman Florida, it's one of the first ones outside of Hawaii. So it's actually a, it's 20 years now or 21 years that it's been running. And uh, it was going to be the 20th year, but they had to move the race because Panama City Beach was not ready to host the race. So they moved it to Haines City, which is basically between Tampa and Orlando. And that changed the race from being like an ocean swim and a flat bike ride along the coast, you know, and, um, in that part of the panhandle to, um, a little bit more of a hilly bike ride and a <laughs> lake swim. So much different, uh, conditions, but I had a blast. It was so much fun. It's one of my favorite days ever. <laughs> so you really earned your stripes on that one. Yes. And I loved it so much. I mean, when you're prepared for a race, when you've put your heart into all of your training, your ra- the race day itself is just a giant party. It's so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I've experienced that with with some of the the runs that I've I've completed and uh, some of the longer runs and as well some of the ultra marathons. I think the folks that are hanging out for a while um, that are whether whether they're crewing you or whether they're uh, just there to support a shorter race, but they're they're there for the atmosphere. Uh, that's the best part about it. Like that, that community and that culture. Uh, it just, you know, it, it breeds energy. And I think the camaraderie there is really what keeps people coming back. Makes it very special. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I want to wrap up here in a second, but I do have to (laughs) ask you, um, can we talk about the gear a little bit in, in triathlons and and Ironman? I think from an outsider's perspective, like I'm intimidated, uh, to come into it because I think there's. You know, there's a perception that you have to have like the nicest bike or the nicest gear and you need a wetsuit and you need all these things. Uh, And I think the simplicity that running offers us is uh, you're able to kind of grab a pair of shoes uh, and and get it done. Right. So what is what is your experience been transitioning into that world? So my advice for people wanting to enter the sport is just go check out a local sprint race. If you go watch other people race and you just kind of see the field, yeah, you'll see the crazies who have the really expensive bikes, the really fancy gear, and they can do the like flying dismounts and all this fancy stuff on their bike. But you'll also see the people that are they're wearing their speedo swimsuit the whole race. You know, they they do the swim, they get on their bike on their in their swimsuit, and they don't have a bike that has like the clip in or clipless, which never makes sense to me because why would it be clipless when you clip in to your bike? <laughs> but anyway, kind of that's, yeah, right. <laughs> so you'll see people that hop on their mountain bike, they hop on their. I've seen a guy on the was it the fat tire bikes? Like, I mean, you'll see everything if you if you just go check out a local sprint or Olympic race, 
And, and then, yeah, the run too, you'll see people just kind of throw on a t-shirt to, to run the rest of the race or kind of throw on a pair of shorts and finish it and just have a blast. So it can seem intimidating. Like you need all this fancy stuff, but you'd be surprised too, how much you can find used, uh, when you look at like triathlon groups and what people are getting rid of and how much stuff you can find discounted or on sale. And, and then I mean, even borrowing gear, like I'm, I'm always happy if I have a friend trying to get into the sport, if they want to see what a tri top feels like, or they, I've, I've mailed a friend an old watch before. So she has a watch to see what that's like to watch her heart rate the whole race. So it's, I mean, it is a sport that can be pretty intimidating financially. And just the fact that you have to, you know, you think you have to be great at all three things right from the get go, but all of us are working on our individual, you know, areas of weakness or areas of challenge. And then we all have our strengths too. So obviously I pride myself in having the swim down pretty well, but the bike, that's, that's an area that I'm always still trying to work on a little bit, (laughs) trying to be a little bit more fluid in my transition, trying to watch my heart rate when I'm on the bike and have the right body position. And, and it's actually pretty hard when you're, I shouldn't say hard, but it can be a little intimidating when you're one of the first swimmers out of the water, but then everyone is passing you when you're on the bike. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we all have our things we get used to. So if anyone's listening, who's interested in trying out the sport of triathlon, like don't hesitate to ask me questions about it, to reach out to your local clubs, to local friends. Uh, Usually there's even beginner clinics that are very friendly and offered at either free or very reduced prices to get people into the sport. All right, Ali, I think you convinced me. I'll, I'll do it someday. I, you know, I, I've always wanted to do it, I think. And I, I think Mary probably wants to do it more than me. Uh, I imagine she'll succeed at this before, before I'm able to, uh, similar to how she ran her first 50 mile race, uh, way well before me. Uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I mean, um, super proud of everything that you've done and, just really such an inspiration. Uh, you have such a cool story and I think that you've been able to, you know, build on your previous life experiences in a way that, uh, that not a lot of people can. And I think it's, it's really inspirational, but it's also, it's nice to kind of hear you talk it out because it, it really points out that, you know, you're not a superhero. You know, you're, you figured out what works for you. Um, and I think that my big takeaway here is that, you know, if you put in the work and if you find the thing that you're, that you really enjoy, that you're passionate about, that, that you feel like it's, you know, really adding a lot of value to your life, that you can continue to climb and continue to succeed in that, in that realm. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, one of my favorite phrases, just really short and sweet. When I tell people, I always say consistency creates results. So yeah, that's stay a good consistent. mantra. Yeah. Consistency is key a really good mantra all right so if people want to get a hold of you uh you're on instagram at, at ali b noel and i'll i'll link this in the show notes but yeah. you also have two other two other handles so you have give yoga a try uh which actually i'm going to ask you about really quick what <laughs> what is going on there what's your what's your focus yeah, for so one? i know i talked a lot about ashtanga earlier that style of yoga which i still completely honor the tradition and i'm so grateful for my journey but it's actually not the style that resonated most with being a triathlete i ended up kind of gravitating away from it quite a bit and now i'm much more into 
this method, the lit yoga method by Laura Hyman, which is just more physical therapist based. Um, cause she's a physical therapist. And so it's just more, much more anatomy based, I should say. <laughs> and so I went through her training this year. It was online and, um, it was beyond amazing. I learned so much about the body and I just want to share that with triathletes. I feel like it's a more, uh, accessible yoga for a better way for I'm trying to think of a good way to say it. It's just a more practical way for an everyday person to start practicing yoga and be really mindful of your posture, your alignment and kind of movements that really help with mobility. And I feel like that's great for triathletes, both for strength building that, you know, aids and helps the sport and helps you improve, but then also a practice that really helps you recover safely and remain uh, injury free. So yes, that is kind of my little side project at the moment is trying to bring yoga to triathletes with give yoga a try TRI. And I'm working on having more videos online for that soon. Cause right now I'll, I pretty much just share through the Instagram page, which is linked to Facebook. And then I do some lives for fun sometimes. And then the other handle that I have is called stitch and script. And it's, uh, was where I share my crochet and knit creations. <laughs> You're so multifaceted. I love it. And you do I, really beautiful work. I'm, I'm really impressed. Thank you. I mean, it's been really fun. It's my way of winding down in the evenings. And what I want people to, to gain most from seeing my page and just seeing everything that I do is not to be exactly like me. You don't have to be a triathlete. You don't have to be a knitter. You don't have to do handstands. It's, it's not all those things. It's, it's that you can do the things you love. You can prioritize the things you love and they don't necessarily have to perfectly match up. If other people tell you like, you know, you can't do that. You do this thing. Or how, how could you fit that in? I just think a lot of people think that they can't fit in the things they love. And I'm just trying to show people that it's possible. It's possible to live a life that's full, a life that's meaningful for you. And yeah, and then just to keep trying new things. Spoken like a true Renaissance woman yourself. (laughs) Well, Uh, Allie, thank you so much for jumping on and uh, coming into Techawat with me today. I appreciate (laughs) it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a joy to speak with you. Amase ganalo. All right. Uh, Yeah, minimidelum. Let's do it again. Sounds good. Well, that was my conversation with Ali Noel. And let me just say that I really enjoyed unpacking her story and getting to know her on levels that I I hadn't previously had explored. And I think one of the most unique things about Ali is her continuous drive and her pursuit for authenticity and exploration of who she really is and identifying those areas of passion for her. She is so good at finding the things that make her happy. But then on the back end of that, she is really fantastic at carving out the necessary time and putting the work in uh, to then be able to reap the benefits of those endeavors. And I would encourage every single one of you to look into your life and identify the things that make you really happy, the things that you're really passionate about, and try to think about how you can take some baby steps toward accomplishing maybe a more lofty goal associated with those areas of interest. And 
you know, for Allie, I would encourage you to follow her on Instagram. Uh, her channels are in the show notes and, uh, you know, get a daily dose of Allie wisdom. Uh, I know that I do, and it's really awesome to see everything that she's up to, uh, on a daily basis and, uh, how she continues to grow and step into risk and, uh, is just always so open and compassionate and ready for the next challenge. And, uh, I, I'm again, just super grateful, uh, for Allie, uh, and her time for jumping on the podcast and for all of you, thank you for listening. And, uh, if you can, please go ahead and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you can leave a review, that is also super helpful. So thanks again, and really looking forward to our next conversation.